With Big Ten football just around the corner, what are some of the new names that you need to know going into the season? You are locked on Big Ten. Your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You're listening into Locked On Big Ten, everything you need to know about the conference every single day. And we welcome back in John Garcia Jr. Recruiting at Sports Illustrated is his game. He's all over everything that you need to know on the football field as far as future players. And as we'll get into here with John today, some of the new faces that we're going to see around the Big Ten, both some incoming freshmen who can make an impact, but obviously the bigger, bigger thing to look at is the transfers and new faces from other schools who will be on the field for, for Big Ten teams here this fall. We'll get into all of that, of course. But thanks to John for coming on, and thank you to LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions, as always, apply. John, it's good to have you back here on the show. Uh, we're less than a month away now from college football, so it's time to start to get into less of the hypotheticals of the recruiting season. And I want to talk some more about what's going to be actually on the field this fall for Big Ten football teams. Again, less than a month away. What are you looking at when you look at the Big Ten right now? Just as a whole, as we get into this season, I mean, we've gone over where teams are at overall, but I just kind of want to get another recap from you. Where do you see these Big Ten teams and how they stack up with the rest of the nation? Oh, I think they're right in the mix, right, right at the top, really. I think the the expectation is is that the SEC will be the best conference, and I think that's probably true at the very top. Alabama, Georgia, or maybe you say Georgia first because they're coming off the, of the Natty. Certainly, you know, two of the best teams in the country. But I think thereafter, there's a whole lot of question marks down in SEC country. So I think stability wise and depth wise, you can make the argument that the Big Ten is is better top to bottom going into this season. I think there's, there's less drama. All 14 coaches came back. So that certainly helps to, to minimize the drama. Um, there's still some, some big positional battles going on, you know, at some of the quarterback spots, et cetera, but at least there's somewhat of a continuity and a stability factor that the big 12, the big 10, excuse me, will enjoy going into this season. Uh, so I think, you know, the contenders are the same guys, right? The same schools we always talk about. Ohio State's expectations should be through the roof. That offense should be arguably the most prolific in the country, not only in the conference, but certainly in the country. Uh, Obviously, Michigan is following up a historic playoff run, and they've dealt with probably, I would say, the most transition, at least from where I sit, having had so much success last year. How does that play out? going forward, although you do return considerable talent uh, up in Ann Arbor. Uh, Michigan State was was kind of the spoiler. Penn State is always in that conversation as well. So I think at the very top, it's, it's pretty darn strong. You can never overlook Wisconsin or Iowa in, in my eyes, especially when it comes to, you know, defensive football and or when the calendar pushes closer to the holiday season. So I, I love the depth of the Big Ten and the variance there. And, and I think there's some room 
beyond the teams that I've named that are going to be sneaky. You know, some players, some teams and players that that have some some juice, as they say. I think Maryland's offense should be fun with Tengovailoa and Mike Loxley returning for another year. They might need to score it every time out, you know, based on uh, some of their defensive stats from last year. But I think they can play spoiler and really do some damage uh, deeper into this season. So I do think that there's a whole lot of fun to expect from the conference, uh, I would say as a whole, um, but especially at the top, you know, those top four or five programs are going to one, knock each other down in the rankings because they have to play each other. And then of course uh, one or two will emerge as, as the primary schools. And that conversation kind of feeling old school here, nostalgic feels like Ohio state and, and Michigan, at least at the forefront of the conversation, but those other schools, Michigan state, Penn state uh, are going to be right there as well. I agree. Uh, we want to talk about here today the new faces that we're going to see on the field in the Big Ten, whether that's guys coming in from other schools or just freshmen who are going to be able to make an impact. And I want to start with some of those schools over on the east side of the conference that you listed in a row there, the Michigan Wolverines at first. The conversation, at least lately on the show with Michigan, has been, yes, we agree that aside from Ohio State, this team can recruit as good as any other team in the conference year in and year out. So as far as the holes that are there, you believe that there's talent to fill them, but there's also been a kind of agreement that the pieces Michigan lost were kind of just more than even NFL talented players. Those were bigger than that, especially with like the leadership that was there with Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo. Those are guys that you lose and are not just big holes to fill, but are, are like, top in the country in Hutchinson's case kind of talents to try and replace where are you at with how Michigan tries to at least fix what again is a huge hole on that defensive side of the ball well yeah you you lost a whole lot of production on the edge in particular so I, I wonder if um, they'll go to a more conventional look uh, to try to combat that because it's hard it was hard to take either of those guys off the field. So I think Michigan could project a little bit bigger up front uh, without having to play both of those guys, a little bit more stout against the run uh, on the front end of the process there. They brought in some transfer help. Uh, I believe uh, multiple D linemen, Cam Good uh, comes to mind as, as one of the best that they brought in coming from down here uh, in the state of Florida at UCF. So I think, you know, that's the first step there. Maybe you play a little bit more uh forward facing, you know, play a little, little bit of bigger ball uh, on the front end, but they've also got some dynamic freshmen coming in both uh, at the pass rusher spot and throughout the defense. You know, my brain for Michigan recruiting last year just always kind of goes to Will Johnson, the defensive back. I think he is uh, arguably, you know, the most talented DB that they have brought in, in in a very, very long time, big, physical, fast. I think you can move him around and, and help to compensate for maybe a, a lack of, of, being the same in 2022 as you were in 2021. So maybe the strength of that unit shifts backwards towards the back seven, as opposed to, to that pass rush uh, in Ann Arbor, both important, both obviously help the other units. Uh, so you, you wonder how much that can help mask uh, the loss of, of Ojabo and, and certainly Hutchinson up front. But yeah, I think it's going to be a totally different uh, defense at Michigan, new coordinator on top of it. So it, it's, it could profile totally differently from from a schematic standpoint as well so that will be one of the maybe the biggest question mark for the Wolverines uh this season just how does this new defense gel and how do, how does the new personnel 
mold into that uh, because, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to, um, I guess, build up like we used to talk about in college football, where you play some directional schools and, and you build up the confidence before conference play. It seems like every year it's starting uh, sooner and sooner. Uh, Penn State's done a good enough job recruiting in the last few years. Are we at a point now where we're going to start to see them be able to put some of those talented players actually on the field as they get into those veteran years? 100%. You know, I think a lot of those players have have waited their turn and then, then there's still going to be another group, you know, coming in, you know, from the freshman perspective. I don't think you're going to keep Nicholas Singleton off the field. He was you know, a clear RB1 choice for us at SI where we didn't really spend a whole lot of time on it. He was the preseason guy and there was really nothing uh, that, that he showed as a senior to, to take us off of that perch with him as the clear number one back, uh, a big filled out, uh, complete and balanced back. I think uh, he brings a whole lot of, of what you would expect now at Penn State to the table, right? After the whole the Saquon Barkley breaking the mold kind of deal that that feels a little bit more like RBU over the last, you know, five, six years or so. Miles Sanders, obviously following him up. And then defensively, you think Penn State, you, you think of uh, attacking aggressive defenses. Uh, so the pass rush secondary has to be in tune, just like we talked about with Michigan. And I think um, maybe the highest rated Penn State guy from last cycle, Danny Dennis Sutton, you're not keeping him off the field as well. You know, Penn State evaluates front seven players from an athletic standpoint um, very uniquely. Um, and he's as freaky as they get uh, for, from a height, weight, um, athletic testing standpoint. So I think he's going to be able to get after the passer relatively quickly um, uh, up there in Happy Valley. So yeah, there'll be some new faces for sure uh, at Penn State, even though Sean Clifford's going into year, you know, 26 as the starting quarterback. You mentioned Singleton. Is he somebody who can, you think, really be able to turn around that Penn State offense or maybe even not turn around, but give it the kind of, I guess, consistency that it's been lacking? I do, you know, obviously with, with Clifford coming back, you expect um, you expect the passing game to at least be consistent, you know, whether it's explosive and all that TBD, I think some young receivers have to step up there, but you, you need the balance to present to a defense and Singleton gives you that true three down ability uh, out of the backfield. He can absolutely run between the tackles, very comfortable in space, and he's an efficient receiver out of the backfield as well. So I think, yeah, I think he could provide some, you know, margin shortening uh, stuff for that offense and allow them to to be a little bit more dependent on the tailback which has kind of been the formula right I mean they've had some gritty quarterbacks some experienced quarterbacks at Penn State but it feels like when they're at their best they're able to tote the rock and really build around that featured position. Michigan State, if we're talking transfers, it's foolish to not talk about the Spartans first. It, we had Matt Sheehan on yesterday to kind of discuss a little bit about this too, as there were some Big Ten coaches in what it was the Athlon's Anonymous Coaches Quotes article that they put out saying stuff about how Michigan State relies on that transfer portal. <laughs> but if you're looking at what Michigan State was, the agreement was, at least on the show here, that at the very least, if you're criticizing it, you're criticizing something that hasn't stopped working yet. So I guess that's the question is, can all of these transfers come in and continue to make this Michigan State team and Mel Tucker look a lot better? You know, Nate, this is a talent acquisition business. You know, it, it gets to the, you know, when we, we talk about that and then we start going the moral route and all that stuff. Yeah, it can get a little bit blurry, but at the end of the day, 
it's about accumulating talent and, and Michigan State. Yeah, they, they may be relying a little bit more on the portal compared to others. But when you're bringing in probably the best pound for pound transfer class, this is now two years in a row. It's it, it gets hard to argue against because of, of the success we see with with a lot of those guys immediately um, uh, up in East Lansing. And I think, you know, the entire running back room has been overhauled again through the portal. You got the, the thunder and lightning with Jalen Berger and uh, Jarek Broussard uh, coming in uh, to replace, uh, of course, uh, Kenneth Walker, the third. And then defensively, you brought in some premium position guys. Chris Bogle is an instant impact weak side pass rusher, electric first step uh, for the South Florida native. Uh, I love Aaron Brule from Michigan or uh, Mississippi state, excuse me, another MSU to MSU transfer there. Um, big physical downhill SEC linebacker with a ton of experience. So you're bringing in players that have talent, but also that experience that's really invaluable in, in terms of trying to flip the switch towards their new scheme, uh, their new coaches, the new personnel. And naturally guys who are 19, 20, 21 years old have a better chance of, of assimilating immediately compared to that 18 year old that's that's straight out of high school. But look, MSU signed a pretty nice high school class as well. I like the quarterback, Caden Hauser. I think the receiver, Journey Bernard, is going to be one of these classic cold weather, big boundary wide receivers that you need uh, when you get into the thick of conference play. So, you know, they're not just relying on the portal, but certainly they'll fill some needs immediately through that avenue. And, and we see that everywhere. I mean, Alabama went and pulled starters from Georgia through the portal uh, and Georgia Tech and LSU. So even the teams that have the number one, two, three recruiting classes from the high school perspective, they're still supplementing through the portal. So I, I do think, although there's some shade being thrown by these other coaches, this is something that's really not going to go away, uh, especially if it works like it has at MSU. You mentioned, has Michigan State won this twice in a row as far as the portal game goes and getting people in here? You said best pound for pound class out there. It's obvious they've been doing the most in the Big Ten, but is it really out there that they've been doing it better than anybody else? I think from a volume perspective, not not as much as other schools, believe it or not. You know, some of these SEC schools had like 15 transfers, LSU, Ole Miss come to mind right off the top. I think USC out in the Pac-12 uh, had uh, close to 20. So a lot of teams have overhauled the roster, particularly through coaching changes via the portal. But I think the pound for pound quality that at MSU is able to stack up with anybody's. And if you look at the Big Ten transfer classes, I, I really like what Nebraska did. Um, they'll probably have their quarterback through the portal, but also some other really key positions. O'Shawn Mathis, a great pass rusher um, as well. They brought in a couple Alabama guys defensively to overhaul that, that side of the football and try to get closer to the identity of, of what Nebraska, I guess, is supposed to be. Uh, but I do think that, yeah, quality-wise at certain positions, it just seems like, uh, Michigan State's just been able to do it. They had great transfer corners last year. They bring in a national champion in Amir Speed this year at corner. I mentioned the pass rusher, the linebackers, and the running backs, which is where we've seen so much success uh, last year as well. So, yeah, it's it's one of those, to me, where it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and if these players are available and want to play for Mel Tucker and, and feel galvanized by his, his own rise – then why not? You know, they're going to be motivated and, and they know their clock is ticking more than that high school recruit. So Michigan State is becoming known profiled almost as, yeah, this is a great transfer destination, even though you, you probably didn't consider them out of high school. We'll continue along with John Garcia Jr. here on the show talking about some of the new faces we're going to see in the Big Ten transfers. 
new players out there who can make an impact this fall on the gridiron some names that you just may not have heard before that you need to get familiar with but first our show today is brought to you in part by bet online bet online is the place to go for any of your sports gambling information needs you can go ahead and get information just on learning about this game if you're someone who wants to start getting into sports betting if you want to know the latest news on like movements in lines and things like that bet online has you covered it's a one-stop shop for any of that sort of information that you need over at betonline.net where the game starts john you mentioned a guy like singleton who's someone who can not only come in as a freshman and make an impact but be someone who can help a team kind of turn things around if he does just exactly what you think he might be able to do but you also mentioned he's like the top of the top number one ranked running back on your lists at least are there any other players like that in the big 10 who you think could be immediately on the field and doing that kind of a thing to that degree around the conference yeah, I'll, I'll go uh, to two defensive players in, in the Big Ten. Um, I think Xavier Wangpa at Iowa, uh, as, as Banner, uh, an in-state recruiting win as the Hawkeyes have had in a very long time. He's a scheme-versatile player in that he's big enough to legitimately be a weak side linebacker right now. He's probably 225 pounds, but he came up as a safety. So I think if he profiles at that position, he could get on the field and maybe be your next Dane Belton, who, who was a guy who was kind of a hybrid uh, coming out over the last few years where you utilize them in coverage, but you also wanted him in the box to help solidify the run defense. I think Wonkpa could maybe step in for Belton uh, pretty much right away uh, up uh, up in Iowa. And then I think, look, Ohio State, we, we don't talk about freshmen a lot there because they're so loaded on offense in particular, but of course, a lot of room defensively. And I think they brought in a couple of linebackers and CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles that can do some of those same hybrid versatile things. And, and look, that unit was not great. The last, the last couple of years, really, even the title run uh, leading up to that Alabama uh, title game, the linebacker unit just felt a step behind, whether it was in coverage with tight ends coming down and supporting the run. It felt like that offense with Justin Fields had to bail him out a little bit. And of course we saw that a lot with CJ Stroud, last year so while the offense's expectations are literally through the roof I do think they need some modern space players on the defensive side of the ball and, and both CJ Hicks and Styles bring you a lot of that with great length CJ 6'3 Styles is like six four and a half. Uh, he looks like Sean Taylor out there uh, you know for goodness sake so I, I do think you bring in some versatile guys that can at least crack the rotation whether it's as a sub defender or even as a uh, moonlighting as a pass rusher which is another unit that we think needs help at Ohio State it's it's Zach Harrison and, and young guys you know we don't really know what the rest of that group looks like so I do think some of those freshmen could factor in I want to talk about Nebraska a little bit more uh it was said uh, I think I don't know if again if it was head coach Scott Frost who said it but this is apparently Casey Thompson's job to lose at quarterback right now for the Cornhuskers with that team having some expectations behind it Thompson's a big part of that like as far as transfer guys went, where did he stand when he was out there making his decision as far as what people thought about him? And uh, I mean, other schools were trying to get him and things like that. Like for the people who don't know anything about Casey Thompson yet, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about Casey Thompson yet. What is this guy as a player? Well, he waited his turn at Texas, right? I mean, we all saw what, what Sam Ellinger did there for, for such a long time, waited his turn there. And then going into 2021, 
a true back and forth battle with with Hudson Card, and and it was neck and neck, just like it feels like now it is with with Purdy. Um, so he loses initially, but eventually gets his shot, uh, and and really doesn't look back. Again, people laugh at Texas because you know five and seven they lost to Kansas, but that offense averaged a, a ton of yards, a ton of points via mostly throwing the football, and and Casey was a big part of that. Had some huge games at times um, and, and utilize both his arm and his legs in the process. I did think he pressed a little bit too much. You almost felt like that entire Texas offense, and I guess we could say this over the last 10 years, they almost felt pressure like, hey, we got to go score every time. Uh, just like, you know, CJ Stroud in Ohio State last year. And, and it makes you press a little bit. So I think at times he pressed, uh, you know, he stared down receivers, things like that. Um, and it got him benched. Um, but I do think that time off after that, you know, he was like, hey, I'm, I'm hitting the portal. And, and it was going to be a, a big change for him. He does have good mobility. I, I don't think you design a ton of runs for him, but I think he could help you escape with his legs a little bit. And we know pairing him with Scott Frost, who wants to go fast, who wants to run the RPO stuff and play as up-tempo as as possible, although it hasn't always projected that way, I do think there's a schematic fit there with him more so uh, than Purdy, who transferred in from Florida State. So I think the combination of the schematic fit, the experience that he never really got to show uh, until last year, um, and the maturity. You know, this is a kid who's, you know, four plus years removed from high school at this point. You know, you're, you're bringing in a grown man to, to run your offense, and, you're, and he kind of knows this is it. This is the last last chance just like I think Scott Frost probably feels like it this is this is kind of back against the wall territory so I think in that regard it's it's a really nice fit and and yeah if he's already starting to call it in early August it it probably tells you that Casey Thompson has a bit of a wider margin because we know coaches are always conservative when it comes to naming their their QB1 and a lot of them want to take it into the season especially if the the initial opponent or two aren't within the conference or a marquee national type of game. So I think this is, you know, kind of pairing with your coach for a back against the wall revenge tour. We fit each other kind of vibes. And if it works out, both will look like geniuses. And if it doesn't, it'll kind of, uh, you know, just be the last flicker of, uh, of this part of their football lives. I'm interested to see how Thompson works out if he's out there and if he's clearly winning this quarterback battle right now, like apparently he may be. I'm getting even more interested as we start to lead up to the season as well. Uh, John, before we let you go, I want to get to the bottom of the conference, because when you're talking about freshmen, when you're talking about new guys coming in, just as important for that teams that are trying to rebuild. I think we've kind of signaled out here on the show that we're looking at like Indiana, Northwestern, Illinois are the three teams that probably have the least to be excited about as far as this actual season goes. We're talking about like with goals with them, it's about more, you know, the conversations about how you feel going forward than actually what the wins and losses are. So like who's most likely to feel good at the end of the season about where this incoming freshman class is at or what the building is coming to with what you've seen in like just last recruiting classes and where teams are using that skills I, I don't know what the sell was in particular with indiana but they got a bunch of transfers over a dozen and there's some interesting impact players within this group nate that that really intrigued me obviously it starts at quarterback you know michael Penix is gone off to washington you bring in connor basilak from missouri who really showed some flashes kind of like texas where 
the offense wasn't the issue at, at Mizzou over the last couple of years. So Connor wasn't one to necessarily blame uh, for any downfalls over in the SEC East. So I think he's got some of the same kind of Casey Thompson value and path towards, you know, hey, fresh start, good system that fits what, what I want to do. Then you think of some of these other players that they brought in. I love Sean Shivers, the, the small diminutive running back uh, coming from Auburn. He's like 5'7", but he's like 205 pounds and runs like he's 225. I mean, he's a big physical player uh, from a compact standpoint, but he also has burners. He's a kick returner, a track guy in high school, I believe, and early on in his SEC career as well. So a lot of revamped efforts on the offensive side uh, for Indiana. And again, you kind of understand this is this is something that they need. Um, and I think you brought in, you know, some good receivers. Emory Simmons uh, from North Carolina has immediate eligibility, but it wasn't just offensive guys. They brought in some defensive players as well. A couple of D linemen from Ole Miss uh, to occupy the interior there. Uh, I do think makes a lot of sense for Tom Allen, who again, another coach of, it feels like, clock kind of ticking here to, to a degree. So I don't know what the sell was at Indiana, but a lot of players with a lot of experience jumped on that bandwagon and they countered it with a really nice recruiting class as well. Um, a couple of really impactful DBs, Desan McCullough has some of the same qualities we talked about with Xavier Wongpa in, in terms of being a massive hybrid 6'5", 240. He could rush the passer. He could drop into coverage. And then the next Mullen brother uh, was jumping on board at Indiana as well. Travel Mullen from, from down in South Florida. I don't envision him sitting very, very long once he gets there for good. So a lot of interesting newcomers in Indiana. It'll feel totally different, but I think it's in a good way in the end. And, and maybe like Maryland, especially offensively, they can play a little bit of spoiler along the way. Thank you, John, as always, for joining us here on the show to talk a little bit again about some of the new faces we'll be seeing around the Big Ten coming up this fall. We'll, of course, get back into recruiting stuff with you when you have you on next. But as we're starting to lead up here to the start of the football season, we have to get as much preview stuff in as we can because people I know are just excited to get back <laughs> out on the field. I know you're excited to start watching it, too, and we'll talk to you again very soon about everything that you're seeing on the trail, on the field, all that kind of stuff. And thank you as always again, Jane or John for joining us. Always fun. Thanks for having me.